0: is the Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men.
1: Welcome guys and gals to the art of charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The art of charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a high performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we certainly have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with the art of charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. If you like what you hear in the show, hang out with us on the blog. We get really in depth on these topics and you can further engage with the AOC team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out a couple months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com, and get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Jeffrey Hazlett. He is a corporate superstar and badass. We're gonna talk about failure culture, conditions of satisfaction, why a C-level executive cleans his own bathrooms, and why being irrational as a leader might be a good thing. So enjoy this episode with Jeffrey Hazlett. So tell us what you do in one
2: sentence. So I work with high-growth companies. That's the focus of everything that I do.
1: But you're not like a coach, right? I mean, I want to sort of separate that from... You're not some guy online with an ebook who's like, I coach companies because I woke up on my mom's couch and I was unemployed and da-da. like you're a real. You've got a lot of corporate experience. It's, it's a
2: real business and a real, real stuff that we're doing, and not that coaching isn't because there's always some aspect of coaching. But what I do and I have done over my career is I've been a Fortune 100 officer of a company that ran a $17 billion budget. I bought and sold over 250 companies in my career, $25 billion in transactions. Some of those have been great. Some of them have been real losers, which you learn from the experience. Uh, Nothing that's been a bankruptcy, but certainly tough times and good times. And so I manage businesses in Main Street, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I'm from originally. And at the same time, I've run businesses on Wall Street.
1: Excellent. Okay. And you were working with Kodak at one point, a business that everyone's heard of.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'd sold a bunch of businesses into Kodak as part of the transaction and transition that they had as a company. You know, they were looking to move away from a B2C company to a B2B company. That's what they are today. And even after their bankruptcy just of of a couple of years ago, I left that company five years, almost six years now. And last year they went bankrupt, but uh, the only company that they have left. <laughs> that wasn't that part wasn't your fault. We just yeah, that like... wasn't my fault. Well, they actually went bankrupt back in 1975. It just took them that long to realize it. You oh know, they forgot the business they were in, and they were in the business they thought of, of making film, and that's really not the business they were in. They were in the business of capturing emotional moments. I mean, that's what they are, emotional technology. And they forgot that, and the hubris of their own success led to the bankruptcy. I mean, to try to protect margins on a product that no one was using anymore, uh, you you know, you got to move on. You got to face the facts. You got to look in the mirror and say this isn't working. And they didn't do that. Yet they've still got a great business, about a nine billion dollar business, two billion on the bottom line. You know, you might say, well, geez, they were a failure. But I don't know about you. Two billion dollars is a lot of money. I'd take it. And you take that. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely. What do we want to teach? I mean, you've got a book coming out. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Jason, producer Jason, read the thing, and he's like, there's too much in here for one show, which is great. That's a good quality problem.
2: Oh, I love that. Yeah, we've got a new book that's uh, Think Big, Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless. You know, I'm sick and tired of all the Sheralds out there. I'm sick and tired of people telling me I can't do this or we shouldn't do this or we've tried that before. And look, I'm from a place where it, most people only know on a map. I'm from South Dakota, but yet I... have Uh, At one time, uh, 500 corporate officers of Fortune 100 companies. I've risen to the very top. I've hosted, you know, television shows, primetime television shows. I've got my own podcast on CBS. I've I've got two different television shows on today. And yet, you know, I'm from South Dakota. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And so this is about saying we're going to do things differently. It's time to, you know, get off your ass and fearlessly go after what it takes to get there and really truly define where you want to go and care less about the conventional wisdom or, you know, let's go reframe the limitations and let's steamroll the obstacles and get stuff done. And that's what this book is about.
1: What is some of the the advice that you hear that's like the mainstream advice that you see is just blatantly wrong that the charlatans, as you put it, are promoting?
2: Well, there's some secret to all of this. There's no secret. I mean, secret. It's called hard work because it's freaking hard. You know, And, and that's the biggest thing people have to realize is don't be unrealistic in terms of what you're going to be faced. It's hard. You know, most businesses fail. They fail because they've been, you know, didn't think things out, didn't put enough resources behind it, didn't spend enough time, not enough sweat equity, or they just picked a stupid idea to begin with. So, you know, if you're going to do it right, make sure you do your homework correctly. Make sure you put enough money behind it. Be realistic and then work your freaking ass off because there's nothing better than doing that. And, and again, it's hard work because it's hard. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, let me teach you the secret behind door number one to get behind door number one. There's really a secret behind door number two. You know, and this is really truly about just doing the blocking and tackling and doing the things that you have to do. And so I put some pretty hard and fast rules about, you know, how you want to think about that as you move forward.
3: Speaking uh, under the side of failure, because I was reading your book today, past couple of days, and the failure aspect where you just take the failure culture by the throat and just slam it against the wall was one of my favorite chapters because I think that there is such a like failure culture out there, especially in Silicon Valley. And I, I just want to hear you, what you have to say about the whole like failure mindset.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is that most people are truly afraid to fail. And what I try to do is I I like to embrace it. Let's embrace it like you've never seen it before. And if we're going to fail, let's fail fast. I mean, for the most part, what we learn, and let me give you a great example. When I was the CMO at Kodak, we went after what I call Big Ink. Big Ink, you know, I used to never say their name, but we're talking about, I'll give you their initials, HP. You know, this is a company that makes $9 billion, $9 billion a year in profit just off of inkjet cartridges, and we decided to go after them. And we put together a campaign. I don't want to go into it really long because it would take more than the 90 minutes that we're all talking here together uh, in order to get down to some really great, great content. But we went out and did a campaign in a motion picture theater, a a mobile campaign. I don't know about you, but a mobile campaign in a motion picture theater, I thought it was going to be great. Because we had a captive audience. And yet we went out and did it and we failed with it. Why do we fail? Because everyone turns off their phones when they walk into a motion picture <laughs> theater, right? Right. So what idiot came up with that? Well, that was me. And we went out and spent a couple million dollars on this campaign and we ended up getting two texts back. Wow. Two texts back. And I looked at everybody and I said, What was wrong with this campaign? I'm gonna I, you know, when they handed me the sheet of paper and it showed me we had two texts, I said, What what do you mean? Like two million? And they go, No, Jeff, it was two. I said, I can tell you right now, too, against the money we spent, that's not a good return on investment. So we focused in. I said, what did we do wrong? And finally, someone raised their hand and said, Jeff, what do you do when you walk into a motion picture theater with your phone? Will you turn it off? Well, I said, where the hell were you when we came up with this campaign? You know. And what I did was I turned back to the team and said, geez, no one died. No one died but this was a great asset, we had a great commercial, we tested it. it, had double digit response, but yet we forgot to look at the basics, and the basics was what's the human behavior when you walk into a motion picture theater with your telephone. And so we repurposed that, and we grew the business by 1,427% that year. So it's about, you know, being able to say every once in a while, yeah, you're gonna fail, you're gonna fail, when you fail, no one's gonna die. Unless you're doing, come on, you're moving heavy equipment, or or you're, you know, a surgeon, Outside of that, no one's going to die. So move on.
1: A lot of the sort of failure culture in Silicon Valley is kind of like fail fast, fail forward. I mean, is that something that big corporations just aren't doing? Is that
2: Big companies never like to do that. And what that does is it stifles them and it stifles their growth because everyone's afraid to fail and they're afraid to be the person that sticks up their hand. I mean, think about Domino's. So Domino's recently did a big campaign. And I'm watching the news and watching the television one night, and I'm sure you're watching as well, and they run a campaign and they say, our pizza sucks. It tastes like cardboard. You remember that one in, in the commercial that they're running? And, and I'm thinking, who in their right mind at the corporate office raised their hand in the middle of the meeting and said, hey, 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 I know we're talking about how good we are, but nope, we suck. We suck so much that we should run an ad and we should tell people we suck. I mean, that's basically what they did. And so I went in as part of my television show to find out why would they do that? Who was the person that raised their hand in the meeting? And by the way, what was the meeting like? And when he raised his hand, is that person still there? And so I found out not only is the person still there, he's the chief marketing officer. And so here this guy was in the middle of a meeting saying, no, we're not living up to our values. We're not living up to what we make a promise to the customer. Now, their brand promise at the time was really around they cared more about getting you the box than what was in the box.
1: Yeah, of course.
2: Remember what their slogan used to be? It's 30 minutes or it's... Or it's free, right? Exactly. So all of us used to sit there and call Domino's Pizza. You know, and the second we hung up, we started looking at our watch, hoping that they would deliver us, you know, they would be late and we would get a free shitty pizza, basically. And so that was what the brand promise was about. So they fundamentally changed that, retooled or redid the recipes around their pizza, and they decided to focus on quality. And not so much on getting it to you fast. Although they still do a pretty good job of that. But they really did that. And it's changed their business. Their stock went from like 76 cents up to, you know, to 70 or $80. So they almost ran out of pepperoni when they started running the campaigns. So here was an example of these guys took their failure and said, we're going to spin it. We're going to change it. And we're going to redefine our company based on the fact that we used to really suck. And now we're going to do something a lot better in a different way. And of course, now what's it led to? They they've changed their name. It's not Domino's Pizza anymore. It's just Domino's. And so, and they're, and they're diversifying their menu. They're trying to go a little bit more fast, casual. In some cases, in some places, they're adding, you know, a place for you to sit down and be able to come in and eat. So, and they didn't do that before because they're redefining their business. So a, a lot better way of doing
1: it. Good thing it's not real pepperoni or they really would have been in trouble running out. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm not going to get into that. One. Yeah,
1: no kidding. I grew up on that stuff. I can't say I have a mixed opinion um, yeah. thereof. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about thinking big and acting bigger. What does that mean and how can we actually do that if we don't work like in the C-suite at Kodak?
2: You don't have to be a C-level exec to make the changes and to make sure that you can impact change in the business. Let me give you a great example. I had a young gal who was working for me, brand new. She'd only been there for about a week, week and a half. Her name was Caitlin. She came to me because we were about to leave in about five or six minutes to go and meet with a CEO of a company that we're about to take public. So she stops by my desk and she says to me, she goes, Jeff, should we take color copies of the presentation to the meeting? And I said to her, I said, you know, you're new here. And since since you're so new, I'm going to give you 21 questions that you can ask me in any given month. You can ask me about the meaning of life. You can ask me where the best Italian restaurant is. You can ask me, do you think my boyfriend loves me? You can ask me any question that you want to ask me. Is that one of the questions that you want to ask? And she turned to me and said, probably not. I said, well, good career move. Because if you have to ask me that question, what do I need you for? Because, see, that's what I've hired you. You're a superstar. We only have superstars because we only work with high-growth companies and we want the best people. So if, you, if I answer questions like that that are, seem to be, to me, fairly common kinds of questions that you should be able to decide yourself, I don't need you. And I said, by the way, let me ask you a question. If I said yes, we need color copies, do you have time to make them? And she said no. I said, then never ask me another question like that again. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally useless question. Exactly. But, you know, people get caught like, caught up in that. Like, they'll they'll come to you and say, how many times have you heard this in a company? It's not in our budget. I can remember once I was working at Kodak and I want to spend like $30,000. It was January the 3rd. Now, our fiscal year began January the 1st. This was January the 3rd. I went to the team and I said, by the way, let's, I think this is a great idea. We should do it. And someone said, it's not in the budget. I said, what are you talking about? We're a, you know, $17 billion company. And you're telling me we can't find 20 or $30,000 and this is the third day in? Oh my gosh, it's that programmed? Is that restrictive? Are you kidding me? Leaders make decisions all the time and have to make choices. And so for, for anybody, whether you're a small in the company or big in the company, it's about making priorities and about taking those priorities and rejuggling them in any given day. I mean, when I walk in in the morning and I look at my calendar, I might decide to change everything that day because whatever is come in is more important than what I had on the schedule that day. And so that's what you need need to really sit down and think about, you know, what's the real thing that you do in the business and that's to lead the business or to have the greatest impact on the business and that might mean things change everywhere.
3: Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger
0: and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify.
3: That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.
0: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star.
3: What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
0: Shopify removes the guesswork
3: with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com charm. Go to shopify.com charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com charm. Now, back to the show.
1: How do we sort of practically apply that? You know, how do we sort of watch out for those pitfalls? If we're in a small business or even if we just work for a company and we're kind of in the middle management phase, how do we utilize that concept? You know, because I feel like a lot of folks think, well, you know, I just work here or I'm stuck here in the middle and it's not really something that I can do. I don't have direct access to the boss, for example.
2: Yeah, but what are your conditions of satisfaction? When you got into that job, there were some conditions of satisfaction that you did certain things. You were empowered to do certain things. Are you meeting those promises that you set for the business and set for yourself? You know, and in, in for me personally, I have three rules or three things, conditions of satisfaction. One, I want to build wealth because that's how we keep score. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've i been able to make a lot of money, but I still want to make more because that's the way we keep score. I mean, I love selling things. I love, you know, making businesses successful. Second is I want to learn new things. I want to be challenged, you know? So I want to learn new things. And And then the third piece of it is I want to have fun. Now, if I can't have all three of those things, I don't want to work with you. I don't want to do it because it just doesn't meet my condition of satisfaction. So inside your own business, there's certain promises that you make to the person above you. And by the way, that we always have somebody above you. No matter how big you think you are, there's always someone bigger. I mean, I can remember when I was a, a you know, big Fortune 100 company. And I'm sitting there thinking, geez, well, $17 billion budget. Wow, wow, wow. And then I was sitting next to this guy, Dan Nelson at the time was his name. And Dan Dan was the CMO of GE at the time. He's now the president of their, I think, their GE Capital Division or general manager, president, CEO of that division. And I remember asking him that, that day at a luncheon, well, how much do you, what are your growth goals for the year, and he said about $15 billion. That means their company had to grow 15 billion, that was about the size of our company, in order for him to make his bonus numbers, for instance. So no matter how big you think you are, there's always someone bigger. That's nuts,
1: that must be so daunting.
2: It's crazy when you think about something like that. It's just the scope, but you, you know what, the other thing I've always said with that, uh, guys, is that it's just zeros. It's just zeros. And I kind of like in it, you run your business the way you run your business on Main Street, you run it on Wall Street the same way. It's just zeros. It's the same people, same problems, same issues, same opportunities, you know, same restrictions, same, same jerks, same great people, you know, all the things that you have in a small business, you have in a big business just with more of them. That's all.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, then why not just be a small businessman?
2: Well, because what would be the fun of all that? I mean, is it sometimes to grow and be big, it's okay if that's what you want to do. And there, I'm, you know, I'm back to being a small business person myself. You know, if you define small business person as being under a billion dollars, um, which is where I define most small businesses, um, you know, there's 28 million businesses in North America, 27 or excuse me, 20 million are less than a million dollars in revenue. 7.5 businesses in North America are between 1 million and 10 million. There's 585,000 businesses between uh, 10 million and 100 million. 15,000 businesses between 100 million and a billion, and only 7,500 businesses greater than a billion. Most people think that the numbers are a lot higher than that. On the yeah, I side.
1: definitely did. I was like, wow, this is a pretty small a number of
2: businesses. Yeah. yeah, when you look at oh, above, and by the way, 600,000 businesses roughly that are above $10 in size, in revenue, control about 95% of the spend. We're involved with the C-suite network. That's what I'm chairman of. The C-suite network focuses on those 600,000 businesses. Or roughly, if you take five leaders times each of those businesses, about three million executives, three to five million total. Because I would go anybody that's in a a VP or higher is what I would consider in the C-suite especially at businesses that are above that $10 million range. You know, every time you, you add a zero to a business, you change the, the complexity of the business. You know, when you're under a million, it operates a certain way. When you get to be a million dollars, well, then you start to take on different characteristics of scale. When you get to 10 million, then it changes. Now you got to start thinking about having somebody from HR. you probably got to have a good legal team to start with. If you get to 100 million, got to have all those plus some. You want a real good CFO. You want a good... Good CMO at that level. You want you want real great, great technicians and professionals. So, so you you look at those uh, the scale of businesses. It it just changes things.
1: Yeah, that totally puts things into perspective too. It can humble you or or excite you, depending on where you're at, right?
2: You no, know, it, it's scary sometimes. You know, I was in a three person public relations firm when I stepped in to the role at um, at Kodak. I had never managed a budget that big. I. I'd come from, you know, a couple of years before that I was with a billion dollar company. Um, actually, we did two billion and it was a, a major printing company that we did a roll up of. And I was leading sales and marketing at that company. And that was big. And I thought that was really big. I thought it was hot stuff then. And then I got the call for the other job. And then you're sitting in these meetings going, you know, somebody should do something about this when you're hearing all these problems. Right. And then you realize, well, it's you. You know, that's when it becomes a little scary. Sometimes that you're the one responsible for it.
1: And now, speaking of responsibility and personal responsibility, you have a a phrase that I, I love which is clean your own bathroom. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about that because I feel like there's a trend in the entrepreneur or even just the small business community where it's like outsource this, outsource that, hire this, and then you'll just be on the beach hanging out. And it's like this weird
2: myth. It's a it's a, it's a different thing, you know. Like I don't want to be bothered with it. But you know, here's there's two things. I I clean the bathrooms in our office today, and people say, "What do you mean you do that?" I said, "Well, I want people to know there's no job that's beneath any of us." That's one. Two, if I'm cleaning the bathrooms, if I ask you to help take out the trash or or to pick up around your desk, you really can't complain much. And really, it's an analogy, not so much for about cleaning the bathrooms. You got to clean toilets, but never lose sight of what's happening within your business. And by the way, if you've ever walked into any business, into a bathroom of a business and you see a really sloppily looking, you know, bathroom, like a restaurant, you really want to eat there. And if the bathroom is really bad, then what's the kitchen look like? Oh God, I don't even want to. Think about that. Exactly. But, but you got to think about things like that. Not as a business owner, you know, I kind of think that way. And, and so when I'm walking into a bathroom in a, Franchise operation, or you know, a restaurant. I'm going, man. oh Well, this looks terrible. What's the rest of the operation look like? If they can't clean the bathroom, which you know they're going into multiple times during the day themselves, is the rest of it just a you know a front for the rest of it? For me, as a customer, and so and that's what I mean by never lose sight of what's happening with your business. You know, even if you're the CEO, it's real important for you to occasionally check in on your employees. And don't let your ego get in the way of running the business.
1: I totally get that, actually, yeah. One of the things we did back at the Art of Charm like six years ago, we had a bunch of young millennial types, and I'll include myself in there too. We were making a lot of money really quickly, and everybody got kind of cocky, and people started, their performance started to really bite. They would start drinking at like 2 p.m., and they'd be like, Oh, I'm, you know, I can do this with my eyes closed, or they'd show up late, or they would you know come unprepared. So what we did is we went to... A, our CEO at the time, he called this local movie theater. He woke up everyone at like 7.30 a.m. on like a Saturday, and everyone was like, F you, what are we doing here? And he dragged us out to this movie theater, and we all cleaned the bathrooms and the toilets as sort of a humbling experience. And we did a bunch of other stuff that day as like team building and had a lot of sort of reality checks until, you know, there were a lot of stories about other companies that were doing much better than we were in like a similar space and all that stuff to sort of illustrate... The potential of where we could be if we took our heads out of our butts, kind of deal. And uh, it was, I don't want to say it was super effective, but it definitely did the trick here and there uh, for a few people.
2: Well, you know, I even tell people one of the biggest things you can do in a business is take a servant mentality. And I think if you have a servant mentality that you're there to service your customer, you're there to do whatever they need, and that they have something that you want, which is called money, that you actually do a pretty good job of it. And so, I've just learned over the years, that's what I try to do. And it's a lot of yes sir and no sirs and a lot of yes ma'ams and no ma'ams. And does that mean that someone's above me No, It just means I want to treat you with great respect. And, and, you know, again, cleaning the bathrooms or, and, and we do this, but when people see me cleaning up every day and wiping off my desk, you know, and my desk is in the middle of everybody else's desk. And when they see me cleaning up in the kitchen and doing other little things like that, what do they do? They tend to take notice of that. Or when I do that, and then I can go by your desk and say, you know, this is, you look like a slob, you know, (laughs) you really need to clean this up, which I do. I mean, this is a big style, you know, hey, Gene, you need to pick this up. They can't, they can't get too mad at me about that because they see me doing the other things. And, and by the way, we all take turns with chores around the office. I mean, You know, today I only have about 50 employees that are, you know, supporting me and doing the things that we do. But when they see me doing that and they're doing it, you didn't take care of it. When I've always gone into a business and I bought the business, the first thing I do is clean because I think it's refreshing for the business. So, I mean, I literally go in and I have everybody help and we take part of the day and we start cleaning out files. We get rid of trash. We get rid of the stuff that's there. We refresh everything. You know, I remember one time in one business, we went in the kitchen and we started cleaning the floor and we found out the floor was white and everybody said, you know, was kept saying, oh my God, I thought the, this was gray tile and it was actually white by the time we got done, you know? So it, it's refreshing for people and it gives them a whole different atmosphere of, of taking care of the place, which I, I think there's, a, there's an analogy around that.
3: And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show.
0: That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters?
3: I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too.
0: That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit Bombas.com charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase.
3: And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether it's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything.
0: The best part, AJ? Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to
3: get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision-engineered for being active with sweat-wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals.
0: I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year. And I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin.
3: Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm and use code charm at checkout. All right, back to Jeffrey Hazlett.
1: Well I definitely can see that I got to ask you like what's the key to thinking bigger and acting bigger because a lot of people are like yeah yeah think big act bigger what does that mean though and and how did you get there how can we get there because it, it seems easy to say that and, and tougher to actually do it.
2: it it's always tough to do again like I said it's it's hard because you know look I came from South Dakota and and, and there were a lot of people that were around me that, that you know thought well importing or exporting is something we do to Iowa you know, I'm going like whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a bigger world out there. And and so when I was sitting in South Dakota, and I and I, I I remember when I first realized this. I was a lobbyist for years. And so I lobbied at a state level, and I worked in government. And so and I was doing all this work, and then I realized, geez, I could go do this in Washington D.C. So I just picked up and I did it. I found out it wasn't that tough. You know, and then as I started working with buying and selling companies, I I figured out I could do them with bigger companies, and it wasn't that much different. And so it's just, it's first saying in your mind you're going to do it and then really, truly doing it. All right. And so I have written above my door in Sioux Falls, and this is on our even our website because people say, you know, hey, we got offices in New York, LA, San Francisco, and Sioux Falls. And when I say Sioux Falls, you know what the next question is? Where's that? Well, where's that or why do you have an office in Sioux Falls? And my next answer is because I can. Because I can. And I started putting that on our website. Now I even put it over the door of our business. And I get everybody to understand, why are we doing this? We can do it one way or we can do it the other. And this other way seems a lot more fun and a lot bigger and has bigger rewards and has a bigger impact if you think big, but not just beyond thinking big, if you act big. You know, it's one thing to say, you can go in and get in the front page of the Wall Street Journal. The next thing is to go do it. And once you do it, you you find out, that's pretty good. And it wasn't that tough. And so let's to go do it again and do it again and do it again. Don't let other people set the limitations on you. We get in stories. In fact, I've, I've had a couple pages. I'm, I'm sure Jason remembers this, that we had a couple pages in there. I have people just give me your excuses. Give me the best excuses you've ever heard. And it's amazing. That, you know, it's not in the budget. We tried that once before. We can go on down. Well, so let's try it again. You know, I I used to play football. I can remember when, you know, I I get blocked and I get hit and get knocked down. What did I do? I got up again. And if I got knocked down again, I got up again. And that's what you have to start to learn about thinking big. For any person or company, any age or size is to own who you are because you can. There's, There's no, you know, there's no difference between you and Steve Jobs or you and some of the greatest companies and leaders in the world. Look, I've sat in the rooms with these people they put on their pants the same as you or I. And I haven't found any of them to be really, truly, you know, much smarter than the average person that lives down the street. It's just that they did it. That's the difference.
1: What happens when other people try to set limits for you? I mean, how can we sort of protect our mind and protect ourselves from when that happens?
2: I think you have to have a real good sense of who you are. You know, if you have a real good sense of who you are and try not to be the things you think you should be, but to truly be who you are, own it. To really be comfortable in your own skin is the first thing that's very, very important. And that's why I work a lot with young women because I just, I'm so mad at the way we've treated young women to get them to believe that they're not as good as they should be when they're so great at everything they do, the way they look, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, the way they position themselves. I mean, it's unbelievable. But you know, look, I am who I am. You know, I'm six foot three, 250 odd pounds right now. And you know, I'm as the my wife. The first time I met my wife's great grandmother, uh, my wife is five foot one, about 105 pounds, and Grandma Agnes was even smaller than her. And the first time Grandma Agnes met me, she looked way up at my wife, and she looked way up at me. She turned to my wife, she looked way up at me. She turned back to my wife and said, "Isn't he bigger than necessary?" You know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And it was finally one time in my life, I was playing rugby and I had a picture that was taken of me and I was with the team and I realized, hey, I'm bigger than these guys. And it was the first time I realized I was a big guy. And there's certain attributes around that that I just say, geez, I might as well own them. You know, if I'm from South Dakota and I am a cowboy because I wear cowboy boots and I ride horses and I do, I am who I am and I'm outspoken and I'm, and half the time when I'm on television or, Or somewhere, someone will say, did he just say that? You know, (sighs) I just figured, you know, what the heck? Own that. So for me, that works well. It doesn't work well for everybody. So whatever you are, own that and be that. And once you are that, then understand that and deliver on that brand, you know, whether it's your own personal brand or the company's brand, deliver on the brand because that's what a brand is.
1: Now, why do you hate TED Talks? I got to (laughs) ask.
2: Oh, gosh. I can remember when I first made this comment and I decided to go ahead and put it in the book was I got through talking about just what I just mentioned to you about, about being who you are and owning it and that a brand is nothing but a promise delivered. So what is it that you're promising to deliver? So for instance, that I mentioned to you earlier, I only work with high growth companies. I don't want to work with companies that are high growth. It's no fun. Uh, they don't act like high growth companies. High growth companies want to deliver high growth. And, you know, that's how we determine with people. We sit down with them and we say, hey, um, what kind of clients do you work with? And we only work with high growth clients and then we shut up. They ask us, well, what's a high growth company? Well, obviously you're not one because you had to ask us. So we're not interested in working with you. So that's one way we weed you out. And the other is they usually spend about the next 30, 40 minutes trying to convince us they're high growth, which is trying to convince us to do business with them. The reason I don't like TED Talks is I, I just got through explaining what a brand was to a group of speakers. And then right after I got through talking about being original, be who you are, and, and, and the fact that I speak to corporate audiences, I work with businesses. And then someone said, Well, when are you going to do your first TED Talk? And I said, Please be advised, I will never do a TED Talk. I think I'll use a much stronger language than that. <laughs> and the reason is that's not my audience. I don't think TED Talks, TED, is aimed at that business. Now, if you want to change the world, you know, hug a tree, you know, pet a kitten, by all means, go to a TED Talk, because I think that's where their focus is at. You don't see big corporate people, you don't see the target market, you don't see the high growth types of businesses that we work with at those kinds of talks, so it's not my audience. It doesn't mean I don't like them. I mean, the people that go, or the fact that, you know, I do find some TED Talks to be interesting, but by and large, people are doing them just to pad their resume, or they're doing them just to be somebody they think they should be, rather than be who they are.
1: Well, what advice do you have for somebody who it feels stuck in their business, or stuck at work, and it's something very practical? Because it's easy to say like, hey, think bigger, act bigger, but what if we feel like, well, I'm already kind of big for where I'm at, but I'm still not satisfied? This might even be the same advice you would have given to 21-year-old you, at the time, thinking like, well, I'm not going to be able to be that person. And even if you always thought that you would, there's a lot of people listening that think, well, you know, you're you were working in the C-suite at Kodak. I'm just not cut out for that, or I don't know how to get there from here.
2: Uh, I think you are. I think everybody's cut out for it if they really want to do it. It's just a matter of making up your mind that you want to do it first. And I'm not trying to be flippant about that. Uh, look, there's a lot of stupid people that are in the C-suite. Trust me, there are a lot of you know, there, there are a lot of smart people there too. Anything that you find in normal society, you will find at those levels, all right? People who are insecure, people who are cocky, people, you know, who are full of it, and people who have no business being there, all the above, all right, in terms of that. The key thing is to decide what it is you want to do, and then I get back to these conditions of satisfaction. What are the promises that you want to make to yourself? And, and then how do you apply everything that you do against those promises? Most people don't hold themselves accountable in terms of making those determinations of the things that are going to drive. If I was with a group, again, I was with a group of speakers, million-dollar speakers, because I just got put into the speakers' uh, hall of fame. I'm in the speakers' hall of fame with Ronald Reagan and Colin Powell and Zig Ziglar and Norman Vincent Peale. And and so I was speaking to a group of million-dollar speakers, and one of the guys, there were two guys in this group of five or six people I was sitting at a table visiting with, and they were complaining about this particular CRM software. And they said it was holding them back. And they kept holding them back. And they, they went on and they were bitching about it for like 45 minutes. And and they, I said at the point that they were at the end, I said, you know, you're never going to change. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I, I said it's painful to change. And yet you want that, but you're not going to do the things you need to do to change. If it were easy, everyone would do it. It's difficult. And I said, a year from now, you're going to be in the same room bitching about the same things. And you just, you just help me make up my mind that I'm not going to do that. Because I'm about to go out and get scale in one of my businesses. And I've been putting off, going out and raising three or $4 million to do it because I've been able to fund it myself. But yet, if I had that money, I could be able to impact my business dramatically. And finally, by listening to them, put me in the mindset of what's holding me back from making and doing the same thing. And to go through the pain of having to sit down and make the list of the 80 investors, to, to, to solicit them, to go to them directly, and spend the time and put off the other things that, that are less important than the things that are more important. And that's just, it's just making simple choices in life and you just gotta be willing to say, I can make that choice.
1: What about risk tolerance? I mean, a lot of people, they jump into a business or or they're afraid to jump into a business, which I'm not saying like, ah, oh, you're afraid, you, you wimp. I think there's just risk tolerance levels. I don't know, is it genetic? Is it something you build over time?
2: Well, I think it's something that's actually ingrained in us a little bit, but you know, it's a little bit in our personalities, but it's more around things that we did when we were little and we got in trouble for, and we're afraid to, to get past that because somebody might be looking. So it gets back to that question we talked about earlier about driving into failure. And the biggest thing I want to leave with people, no matter what you do, no matter what changes you make, and let's just say you do make a mistake, no one's going to die. And, and that's got to be a mantra for you. If you want to think big and act bigger, you have to realize, by and large, for what we're doing in our businesses every day, no one's going to die. So what happens if you fail? Okay, get over it. Move on. It cost you more money. Move on. It took you more time. Move on. You got to redo it. Move on and just get it done. And, and, and there's going to be a million things that are going to get in the way of you doing it. It doesn't get done until you start with the first one. So just keep pushing, be relentless and just steamroll through those things because there's a pony in there on the other side and that's what you have to go fight for. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, so I appreciate you spending time with us today.
2: All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cheers. You got it. Bye-bye.
1: Really interesting. The clean-your-own-bathroom thing, I mean, he's just one of those guys, Jason, where I feel like he's not just saying that. Like, I really think he did clean his own bathroom. Oh, uh, absolutely,
2: man. He, he, uh, he talks the talk and he walks the
1: walk. Yeah, his book is – you read the book. You liked it, right? Oh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic book. Um, and I love the irrational thing, the sort of stubbornness, irrationality as a leader in doses is a good thing. And, and the conditions of satisfaction not only applies to business, but you can extrapolate that to the rest of your life as well. Are you having fun doing it? Are you making money? Are you learning? I mean, these are basic principles that I think once you lose sight of that, you can run into trouble. So I hope people dug that. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy, it's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse, so if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. Jordan at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Jeffrey on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as the other resources and of course the book mentioned on the show. I'm also on Twitter. I post a lot of stuff that frankly either doesn't deserve to be on the show or just doesn't make the cut uh, or is too scandalous for the show at the Art of Charm at the Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details for our live programs, remember, sold out a few months in advance. So if you're looking at it now Get in touch ASAP, plan ahead, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Also on the website, we've got the blog where we dig deep on these topics and you can engage with the AOC team there as well. Subscribe in iTunes, write us a review. If you're not an iTunes guy, we've got our iPhone and Android apps available as well at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Write us a review in iTunes, we'll love you forever. And it's the best way to support the show other than buying products or training from us. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and every better than you found them.
0: Thanks for listening to the Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at the Art of Charm Podcast.com.